Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to, a warm welcome from me as well to our Liberty Church live stream this morning. Uh, it's so great to have you here with us. And my name's Ludo, and today I have the privilege of continuing on in our series, uh, working through Paul's first letter to uh, the church at Thessalonica. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Paul, who wrote this letter, was an apostle of Jesus. And that means that uh, he was specifically sent out on a mission by Jesus to uh, spread the gospel and to build his church. And Paul started lots of churches, um, among others, the one at Thessalonica. Um, and he sent them letters to encourage them because he cared for them, he cared for their spiritual growth, growth and well-being. Uh, and so that's why he wrote this letter as well. Our passage today is from uh, that first letter to the Thess Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. So let me read that uh, for us. It says this, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Abstain from every form of evil. If you're with us today and you're not a believer in Christ, you wouldn't consider yourself particularly religious. Uh, maybe that very first sentence already evokes some negative preconceived ideas that you have about church, about Christians, about God, about the Bible, uh, or all of the above. Maybe it sort of confirms your view that Christianity is primarily about um, denying yourself to achieve some state of perfection, and that seems joyless and dull to you. But on the other hand, if you're a Christian, maybe you read a verse like this, uh, and it, it sort of feels like it's at odds with your understanding of grace. By grace, I mean that forgiveness of sins, that undeserved mercy that we're given uh, through faith in Christ by God. And so some might see a command to abstain from evil as contradictory to that, because our salvation is by faith and through grace, not by works. It's a free gift. And as we work through this morning, I think you'll find that both of those perspectives kind of miss the mark. They don't reflect a complete understanding of uh, the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be a recipient of and live in light of his grace. But to begin with, I think it's important to clarify what we mean or what the Bible means in this verse when it talks about evil. What is evil actually? Often when we talk about evil in our everyday lives with our colleagues and friends, uh, we're really talking about only those most wicked and depraved forms of immorality, often set by a sort of cultural standard. And so many people wouldn't consider themselves evil or even capable of evil. Uh, so if that's how you think of evil, then this verse may seem irrelevant to you. But the Bible, when it's speaking about doing evil, is talking about sin that is living uh, in a way that is disobedient to God's good commands and which rejects his rightful and good uh, authority over you and your life. And we do that all the time, don't we? God is our creator and our Lord, and he shows us what is good. And so it is right for us to respond to him with complete trust and obedience. Yet we all fall short. So even if you think of yourself as not evil, in the Bible's terms, you certainly are capable of evil 
and there is evil in all of our hearts. So this verse is in fact speaking to all of us. This statement, uh, abstain from every form of evil, it really reads like a command, doesn't it? Uh, And it's far from a one-off command in the Bible. Uh, So, for example, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 also says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So like I said, to some people, a, a verse like this feels at odds with our understanding of grace, with his mercy, yet the whole Bible is God's word. And these commands are in here. So the same God who extends astounding grace and mercy to us in Jesus also commands us to abstain from evil, to live holy lives. So what do we do with that? I think uh, part of this perceived disconnect stems from the fact that the gospel is sometimes oversimplified to the extent that it's uh, cheapened to be a sort of of get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak. And I think it also stems from the fact that it's not very popular to talk about uh, holy living today because of the connotations of legalism and the baggage that that carries for uh, many people. And by legalism, I mean uh, adhering to God's moral code out of a belief that this adherence will make you justified before God and that, it's, uh, that that is genuinely a negative thing because it robs us of assurance and joy and of the true gospel. But what if what the Bible says about holiness actually doesn't contradict grace, but deepens and enriches it? What if the command to live a holy life is in fact wrapped up in what it means to receive God's grace? In Paul's first letter to uh, the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, by which he means an apostle of Christ. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul saw his conversion and his calling as an apostle as entirely the gift of grace. Yet in the same breath, he says that grace doesn't make him passive. It doesn't render his behavior meaningless. It actually, in his words, enables him to work hard. So uh, the grace of God in him enables him to live for Christ. And this is uh, the Bible's answer to this perceived disconnect between grace and holiness. God's grace both forgives our sin and gives us power to live holy lives for his glory. Those two things are not at odds with each other in God's word. Grace and holiness are so wrapped up in each other and so wrapped up in our salvation that they can't really be separated. Paul explains this elsewhere uh, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So that means our salvation gives us the power to walk in newness of life. Another distinction that's worth making is that the command to abstain from all forms of evil evil, uh, also is not at odds with the truth that uh, we are justified by faith alone. 
It doesn't mean that because what this is saying is that holiness flows out of being justified, not the other way around. To quote uh, John Piper, as I often do, uh, he explains that the faith that justifies also satisfies the human heart and frees it from the deceptive satisfactions of sin. And what he means is that true faith, the faith that really grasps the depths of God's love for us, will satisfy our hearts in the deepest way possible, in a way that sin never can. And I think uh, that's so crucial for us to remember. Holiness, if coming from that good and right place uh, of being fully satisfied in God, goes hand in hand with deep joy. Sometimes a holy living can be caricatured as a sort of straitjacket, uh, a limiting thing that's born out of guilt uh, and that leads to suppression or denial of one's true desires just for its own sake. And I think what that stems from is confusing holiness with what I was talking about before, legalism. Legalism is all about behavior. It's all about following rules for their own sake. Whereas holiness is not fundamentally about behavior. Holiness is about our affections, which then flow out into how we live. It's primarily uh, a posture of the heart, which then affects all of life. A helpful illustration might be that of a wedding. So at a wedding, uh, the, people are getting, the people getting married are committing to something that is in some way uh, difficult and burdensome. It's a huge commitment that has a very significant weight to it. You promise to do some hard things. You promise to abstain from some things. You promise to limit your freedoms for the sake of the other. Yet at a wedding, at a wedding we don't all gather to sort of mourn that these two people are um, taking on this difficult commitment. No, we celebrate with them because we understand that this couple are committing to live in a certain way, um, not just for the sake of following an arbitrary rule, we understand that this commitment, this way of living, flows out of deep affection for one another. And the understanding that honoring that commitment and seeking their joy within it leads to far deeper joy than the fleeting pleasures of whatever they're abstaining from. And actually, it's not just uh, that there's joy despite those commitments and responsibilities. It is in and through pursuing and honoring that commitment uh, that our joy in the relationship builds. And in the same way, abstaining from evil and pursuing holiness is not something to be mourned. It's a joy-filled pursuit born out of deep affection for Christ and the knowledge that living for him will bring us the deepest joy. So pursuing holiness isn't just denying ourselves for the sake of living up to a code. No, it looks like fixating on Jesus and pursuing a deeper and deeper understanding and experience of his grace so that he is our greatest desire. And to be clear, uh, there could certainly be some very real deep desires in you that need to be denied. And that might be uh, really difficult. I uh, absolutely don't want to make light of that. But what I'm saying is that holiness is not a matter of suppressing that desire with all your might. It is about unseating that desire as your ultimate desire. I find it really helpful uh, in, in this to bear in mind Thomas Chalmers' idea of uh, the expulsive power of a new affection. If we only focus on removing evil from our hearts and don't displace it uh, with pursuing Christ and his good ways, 
then those other things are just going to come right back in and fill the void. The Bible uses the language of putting off the old self, uh, but also of putting on the new self in Ephesians 4. It's an, uh, an active, positive thing instead of there just being this vacuum where you've cut things out of your life. So while we are called to find and cut out areas of evil in our lives, that's not in itself a standalone command. We're also to pursue and fill our minds with good. And in fact, it is that new self that will actually expel the old self as the good takes root in your heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones illustrates this idea well. He says, the way the dead leaves of winter are removed from some trees is not that people go around plucking them off. No, it is the new life from within, the shoot that comes and pushes off the dead in order to make room for itself. In the same way, the Christian gets rid of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and all malice. The new qualities develop and the others simply have no room. They're pushed out and they're pushed off. So this is how we fight sin. We pursue uh, and pray for a supreme enjoyment of God's grace and the qualities that that brings. So that's the first thing uh, that this passage says to us in telling us to abstain from evil, to abstain from every form of evil. Uh, we're led to consider holiness and the place that it is to have in our lives. Um, and holiness is a necessary part of being a follower of Christ, we see which we can and should not do away with in pursuit of grace. In fact, the power to be holy is actually wrapped up in that rich grace that is ours in Christ. And it flows out of our hearts being truly satisfied and joyful because of him. The next part of our passage is a prayer that Paul prays for the Thessalonian Christians. He prays that God would sanctify them completely and keep their whole spirit and soul and body, so every part of them, blameless at the coming of Christ. And to be sanctified uh, means to be made more and more to reflect the image of God, to increasingly die to sin and live for righteousness. You could say that being sanctified means being grown in holiness by God. Uh, and the key to grasp here is that it is God who does this. It says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So yes, we've seen before that holiness is something we are to pursue and actively put on as followers of Christ. But at the same time, we know that it's ultimately God who enables it and brings it about. So like I said before, grace gives us the power to walk in newness of life. But that power is a gift from God and not from ourselves. Another thing that this shows us is that God works not only through our own desires and affections in sanctification. He also works uh, through the prayers and encouragement of other Christians. So we can take this as an encouragement, not just to pursue uh, joy in Christ ourselves as a means to personal holiness, but also to pursue the holiness and sanctification of our Christian brothers and sisters around us uh, through praying for them and encouraging them. So let's make that a real mark of our Liberty Church community. Let's make this a community in which we uh, pray for each other, which we pray for each other's sanctification and that we would find our greatest joy in Christ and that that would lead to holiness. And let's be a community in which we keep pointing each other uh, to the depths of God's love for us shown in Jesus as the motivating factor for this.
I want to briefly reflect on this phrase that the Apostle Paul uses here. He says, your whole spirit and soul and body. And that's what he prays will be kept blameless at the coming of Christ. I don't think Paul is really making a specific distinction here between spirit, soul, and body. I think he's using a few different words to emphasize uh, that he is talking about the totality of who you are. So when we talk about holiness, we're talking about uh, walking in newness of life with every part of your being, with your whole self and all that that entails. We have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives, at least I do, definitely. And perhaps there are parts of your life, um, parts of who you are that you'd rather hide from God, that you would rather he leave alone. And as is always the case when I preach, I find myself preaching to myself as much as to you. You might be praying, God, I want you to sanctify me. I want you to make me more and more like Jesus. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, except for this little part of my life, that's something that I would rather keep control over, that I would rather keep full autonomy over. It might be your career. It might be the way you use social media. It might be your sexuality or your finances. These are parts of our life that are very personal and close to home uh, and that we might not want to submit to God's authority. But your whole spirit and soul and body, the totality of who you are, belongs to Christ and is to be kept blameless at the coming of Christ. So let God into those parts of you as well. Pray that God would sanctify you fully and fully open your own heart to the Spirit to allow Him to do His work. So where are we? Uh, We've seen that we are to abstain from evil, that holiness is a necessary part of being a follower of Christ, which flows out of finding our full satisfaction in Him. And we've also seen that uh, we can't get there on our own by by sheer force of will. Uh, That it's God who changes and sanctifies us and who gives us the power to walk in newness of life uh, with the whole of who we are. And then we get to this short but incredibly powerful statement of assurance. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So there is no doubt that God will fully sanctify, uh, will fully complete this work of sanctifying those who he's called. Um, So as followers of Jesus, God's faithfulness makes it certain that we will be made holy. God will surely do it. We will become progressively more Christ-like as we go through life. And that said, I think it is important to recognize that um, this passage has a long-term view. This is talking about lifelong sanctification. You'll be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these ideas aren't sort of snap your fingers, it'll be done tomorrow kind of ideas. So it doesn't really fit into our current world of of instant gratification, of uh, order your Uber Eats meal and have it at your door in 20 minutes. Uh, We're so conditioned to have everything instantly. I even felt uh, recently with the results of the US election, which took a matter of days, I was getting super impatient thinking, um, man, when are we going to finally have a result? Uh, Because I too am so conditioned to want to have everything and know everything instantly. And that was just a matter of days. But this is talking about lifelong sanctification. It is a long-term whole of life thing. So I want to say, don't be uh, discouraged if there are days where you fall short 
or months where you feel spiritually dry or years where you feel like uh, you're not really growing, I would say keep running to God with that. He is faithful and he will surely do it. He is the faithful sanctifier and he is even now at work uh, sanctifying those who he's called and he will sanctify them by the time Christ returns fully. So there's no need to be anxious. In fact, the difficult season that we're in right now um, is one in which God is surely at work doing a whole lot of sanctifying in people's hearts. The he will surely do it in this verse is happening right now during this pandemic. I find that when I'm facing difficulty, I notice in hindsight often that God has worked in my heart through this. I think that the coronavirus pandemic is revealing to us, to a lot of us, what our false gods are. It's taking away the option of trusting certain things that may have seemed uh, secure and trustworthy before, but really are not. It's reminding us of the beauty and goodness of fully lived out Christian community because we can't have it in the same way right now. And it's reminding us that essentially nothing is under our control, that we are limited and that we are mortal. And I'm sure you can think of many other ways in which this current season is shaping hearts in ways that draw us to God. And these things are part of how God is growing you in holiness, how he is aligning your heart more and more with his. And there's, a, there's another level of depth to this assurance when you consider uh, that it was actually God's purpose in calling you that you would be sanctified, that you would be made holy. In the previous chapter, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 7, Paul says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So God's calling of people has holiness as its goal. And this may seem like a strange thing to emphasize, uh, but I think it goes against the grain of how a lot of Christians think about grace today. Think about the gospel. It's becoming the norm to underemphasize holiness. But God has called us for holiness, not for impurity. Take Ephesians 1.4, where it says that God chose us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So again, the purpose of God in choosing us is holiness. And we even see in Ephesians 5.26 that the purpose of Christ in laying his life down for the church is that he might sanctify her and that she might be holy and without blemish. So if this is God's purpose in calling us and God is sovereign and faithful to his own purposes, how can we have any doubt that he will complete this work in us? We don't need to worry for a second about whether we'll be sanctified enough when Christ returns because God has called us that we might be holy and blameless before him and he is faithful and will surely do it. This passage assures us of that in no uncertain terms. So in wrapping up, uh, I'd like to leave you with three things, three exhortations, if you will. Um, firstly, be unburdened. The biggest implication uh, for us is that this truth unburdens us. Firstly, because we have no need to worry about whether God will complete this work of sanctification in us. And secondly, the truth that holiness flows out of our forgiven state, as opposed to the other way around, has a massive impact on our outlook and how we relate to God. It changes our outlook from uncertain striving 
to joyful and hope-filled trust. Secondly, uh, be holy. Another implication is that we should and can be actively putting sin to death. Like I mentioned earlier, it is becoming the norm in the church to underemphasize holiness, but we see here that God has called us for holiness and that it's an essential part of life as a Christian. And we also know that we can do it by actively taking off the old self and putting on the new, by running to Christ and asking him for the power to do it. We can fight sin because we know that ultimately that sin is already forgiven and is already defeated. And we also know that God has put his spirit in us to help us with this, to convict us of sin, to train and renew our minds and to work through our consciences. And last but certainly not least, seek and expect joy. Like I said, this growing in holiness as Jesus becomes your greatest affection and desire goes hand in hand with deep, deep joy. So I'd want to ask you, are you expecting joy in your life as a Christ follower? Or are you sort of buckling down for a lifelong toil? I want to encourage you, pursue and expect joy. Remember that what it is that we're being called to abstain from is ultimately destructive. And what we're being called to pursue is good and leads to full and true life. So what a privilege to get to, get, get to live a life fixated on the very source of goodness and joy. Let me pray as we finish. Lord, we thank you so much for these great truths. We thank you, Father, that by your grace, you give us the power to walk in newness of life. You give us the power to live holy lives for you. We thank you that that flows out of our forgiven state. We thank you so much, Lord God, for the deep love that you have for us and that you give us absolute assurance that you will sanctify those who you've called. We pray, Father, that we would go away uh, from hearing this today filled with joy and filled with confidence in you and all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.